Please remain uh, standing for the reading of the word. Our text uh, this morning is found in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Luke chapter 2, 25 through 38. This is what God says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. What would life be like without great expectations? How could we face Mondays without expecting Fridays? How could we face hardship? without expecting things to get better? How could we face wrongs without expecting them to be righted? Someone once said, blessed is the man who expects nothing, for he will never be disappointed. While there is some truth in that statement, it also contains a glaring fallacy It ignores the fact that people really can't face life like that. The person who expects nothing may never be disappointed, but he must live his life in comfortless despair. There are a lot of people in the world today who are living like that, in comfortless despair. Maybe you've seen uh, the bumper sticker at some point. 
that says something to the effect that life is the pits and then you die. Back in the 1980s, the old Milwaukee Beer Company ran a commercial that pictured good friends in various types of enjoyable uh, situations sharing an old Milwaukee beer. And then the commercial bravely pronounced, it doesn't get any better than this. Can people really face life believing that? Can people really face life believing it doesn't get any better than this? Ernest Hemingway, the great American writer, thought he could he readily agreed that life doesn't get any better than this. And his whole life was a beer commercial. He went for all the gusto that he could get. But no one life can be lived entirely within the confines of a commercial. And while life does offer a lot of enjoyable experiences, it also dishes out a lot of unenjoyable experiences. How can someone who has lost a loved one face life knowing it doesn't get any better than this? How can the handicapped and the chronically ill face life knowing it doesn't get any better than this? How can people who lost everything in the recent hurricanes face life knowing it doesn't get any better than this? How can the victims of domestic abuse, divorce, and broken homes face life knowing it doesn't get any better than this? And how can the elderly like me who uh, are suffering all kinds of uh, physical deterioration, face life knowing it doesn't get any better than this. They can't, not without sinking into comfortless despair. That's what happened to Ernest Hemingway when the unenjoyable experiences in his life began to outweigh the enjoyable experiences, he blew his head off with a shotgun. If you really believe that life doesn't get any better than this, if you really believe that all of your expectations are in this life alone, life will eventually break your heart. One of the greatest and most encouraging truths that Christianity has to offer to a comfortless and despairing world is the fact that it does get better than this at the coming of Christ. Christians can live and die with the great expectation that life does get better than this at the coming of Christ. How does life get better than this? 
at the coming of Christ. Well, our text this morning mentions two ways in which life does get better than this at the coming of Christ. The first way in which life gets better than this at the coming of Christ is that we are going to know God in a fuller and a more satisfying way. And the second way in which life gets better than this at the coming of Christ is that our salvation will be fully accomplished. Simeon and Anna were people just like you and me. They were ordinary people. They had experienced both the good and the bad that life had to offer. By this stage of their lives, they were probably experiencing more bad than good. They were an oppressed people. They were under the domination of a foreign power. They were advanced in years, and so they were experiencing all of the physical ailments that go along with old age. Anna had been widowed at an early age and had spent all of her life alone and no doubt in financial want. But Simeon and Anna are not living their lives in comfortless despair. In our text this morning, we see them bubbling over with thanksgiving and joy. Why? Because they had great expectations. They had the expectation that life does get better than this at the coming of Christ. And Christ did not disappoint them. So the first way in which life gets better than this at the coming of Christ is that we will know God in a fuller and more satisfying way. Ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden Eden, thrown out of the presence of God, mankind has been, been separated from God. This is why people are so religious. Uh, the word religion is a compound Latin word that means to bind back. People know that they are separated from God. And religion, practicing religion, is their attempt at reestablishing some kind of relationship with God. Old Testament Judaism did provide a way for the people to have a relationship with God, but the revelation of God in the Old Testament was often terrifying and only in part. And we see in the Old Testament that those people who had a heart for God always wanted to know God better. Moses is a good example of this. Moses, we're told, had the privilege of speaking with God face to face as a man speaks with a friend. But Moses longed to know God even better. In Exodus chapter 33, after God assures Moses that he will go with him and his people, Moses cries out to God, show me your glory. He wanted to know him better. David is another good example. In Psalm 42, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, David expresses the deep longing that he had 
to know God better. He said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He wanted to know God better. Simeon and Anna, like Moses and David before them, already knew God. But they wanted to know God in a fuller, more satisfying way. Old Testament Judaism was a religion of great expectations. And one of those expectations was that God would one day raise up a prophet who was greater even than Moses, who would reveal God in a fuller and more satisfying way. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that great expectation. And Simeon and Anna rejoiced to see his day. Jesus did not disappoint them. Later on, the Apostle John would write, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that was only the first coming of Christ. Believe it or not, as great as it is to have had God revealed to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, there is even more to be revealed about God at the second coming of Christ. And that is our great expectation. Again, the people of God who have a heart for God have always wanted to know God better. Who could have possibly known God better than the Apostle Paul in the New Testament days? And yet, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 and following, this is what Paul says. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The Apostle Paul already knew God. He knew God revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. But Paul longed to know God better. We should all be getting to know God better and better in this life. In fact, we are commanded to grow in our knowledge of God. There is, is nothing that can benefit us more. There is nothing that can comfort us more than knowing God 
in all the fullness that is available to us right now. Augustine, one of the church fathers, said of God, thou hast made us for yourself, but our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Only God can satisfy our deepest longings. And C.H. Spurgeon said this in a sermon that he preached. He said, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. We should be getting to know God better and better in this life. But we will only know God in the fullest, most satisfying sense when Christ comes again. This was the hope. This was the great expectation that the Apostle Paul had. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know him in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And this was the hope, the great expectation that the Apostle John had. He said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And this is our great expectation, that we will know God in the fullest and most satisfying sense at the second coming of Christ. So the first way that life gets better at the coming of Christ is that we will know God in a fuller, more satisfying way than we ever have before. And the second way that life gets better than this at the second coming of Christ is that our salvation will be fully accomplished. Under Old Testament Judaism, our sin problem was never dealt with once and for all. The daily sacrifices that the people of God offered, first of all in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple, were daily reminders of the fact that redemption, the redemption of God's people, had not yet been accomplished. Redemption means to be released from bondage by the payment of a price. 
And in the Old Testament, the price of redemption was never paid for. Therefore, redemption was never accomplished. But Old Testament Judaism was a religion of great expectations. And one of those expectations, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, was that God was going to raise up a deliverer who would rescue his people from their bondage to Satan and sin. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that expectation, and Simeon and Anna rejoiced to see his day. Christ did not disappoint them. Later on, the writer of the book of Hebrews would say in Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14, but he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies were made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. But that was just the first coming of Christ. And believe it or not, as great as it is to have had our redemption accomplished, as, as great as it was, to have been freed from our bondage to Satan and sin, there is still more of salvation yet to be accomplished for us. And that is our great expectation. There's an old nursery rhyme, you know it, about an egg that took an unfortunate fall. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That rhyme is thousands of years old. And in its initial form, it was a riddle that asked the question, what, when, when, when broken, cannot be put together again by even the strongest and the wisest of men? And the answer, of course, was an egg. But the Bible has a Humpty Dumpty story as well. It's called the fall. When Adam and Eve fell by sinning against God in the Garden of Eden, the image of God in man was not lost, but it was shattered. And so was the whole world order. That is why, in spite of the fact that we have been redeemed, we still struggle with sin. The struggle is a good sign. People who are still in bondage to Satan and sin don't struggle with sin. So the struggle is a good sign. But which of us wouldn't rather have it all over with already? And this is why we suffer. Our sins have been forgiven. 
But we all, to a greater or lesser extent, have to bear the consequences of our sin. Sin leaves effects in our life. Forgiven, yes. Redeemed, yes. But we still continue to suffer because there is still more of our salvation yet to be accomplished. And this is why we continue over and over to suffer the loss of loved ones and experience the sorrow that attends those events. I know some of you have experienced that. You've experienced that this week. It's hard for people who have lost loved ones. There is a period of time, and I don't care if you're Christian or not, there is a period of time when you're going to feel a lot of grief. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there, there is nothing wrong with grieving. Paul doesn't say to rejoice in this kind of a circumstance. It's a sorrowful circumstance. And it's okay to grieve. But he says, do not grieve as those who have no hope. Don't grieve as those who think that life doesn't get any better than this. You see, that, that is the great expectation that we have. That the sin that we struggle with, the suffering that we endure, the sorrow that we feel is not forever. It's not forever. That better days are coming it is going to get better than this at the coming of Christ. At the coming of Christ, God is going to fix what man has broken. And I love the way the Apostle John puts it in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Sin-shattered lives and a sin-shattered world are going to be put back together again as they were meant to be at the second coming of Christ. This is our great expectation. I thought it was very appropriate when I 
received uh, the bulletin earlier this week that we were celebrating the sacrament of communion this morning. In the sacrament of communion, we are told to remember, to remember God's act of redemption for his people. But if you read in 1 Corinthians 11, where we find the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where we celebrate the great work of Jesus Christ in procuring our redemption, in freeing us from our bondage to Satan and sin and obtaining the forgiveness of sins, we're also encouraged to remember that Christ is coming again and that things do get better at the coming of Christ. Some of you may have had a good week. Others may have had a terrible week. Wherever you're at, it doesn't make any difference. Rejoice in the fact that it does get better than this. As Christians, we have the great expectation that our best days are always ahead of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have done such great things for us in the past. Father, you are doing such great things for us now. I thank you for the worship here this morning. But Father, we haven't seen anything yet. So Father, fill us with hope. When we sink into depression, when we allow ourselves to sink into despair, remind us again that life gets infinitely better at the coming of Christ, that our best days are still ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>